for an opening for Brooklyn Paper Radio today. And the reason that is, that's Angels of the Silences from Counting Crows. And we've got lead singer Adam Durwitz who's going to be joining us on the phone in a few minutes. It's a big show for Brooklyn Paper Radio. And also joining us later will be Joshua D. Fisher, the author of Meet the Regulars, about Brooklyn places and the people who love them. But of course, I'm in love with Gersh Kunzman of the New York <laughs> Daily News, which is who I am. And my best pal here, Vince DiMaselli, editor-in-chief of these Brooklyn papers. Oh, that, that suddenly disappeared. All under the community newspaper group umbrella. And you may need an umbrella a little later. But nonetheless, Vince. Nevertheless. We got Counting Crows lead singer Adam Durwitz coming on in, in advance of the band's Coney Island show later this summer. Yeah, big show at the new amphitheater out there that hasn't even opened yet. They're still building it. Are they christening the amphitheater? They're not going to christen it. They're going to do it. Uh, their show's going to be in August and everything after. Nicely done. And uh, there'll be I other I saw what you did there, Vince. Uh, thank you. Thank you. There'll, there'll be other uh, acts opening up. Because if we don't get some him. rain soon, it's going to be this desert life all over Brooklyn. Yes. We did you really see what I did there? That was, that was pretty good. You are the rain king. I mean, I'm sucking on a hard candy right now. There you go. All right. Anyway, we're going to do more than just pun Adam Durwitz songs. We're going to talk about me, of course. Vince, who, are you, who are you again? I'm Gersh Kunstman That's of the right. New York Daily News. And as, as, and as such, I am once again the most hated man in America. What have you done now, Gersh? Well, you remember, of course, earlier this summer I wrote about the Eagles. Yes. No, that you were very hated for that. The death of Glenn Maybe Fry. Maybe we could talk to Adam Durwitz about <laughs> we that. We could. The death of Glenn Fry of the Eagles pr- provoked me to write a column about how much I hated the Eagles. Well, I got a lot of hate mail on that column, but nowhere near as much hate mail as I got this week when I wrote about what it's like to fire an AR-15, which is a semi-automatic kind of military-style weapon, much like the one used is it, in Is Orlando. that like an automatic weapon? It is not is automatic. Automatic weapons keep, are illegal. All right, so you have to keep pulling the trigger. Yes. But, but, it, if but you, you can pretty quickly, you can fire very quickly. So you could fire about 20 rounds in about five seconds if you're fast and not aiming, which is what most mass murderers do. The reason I bring it up at all, Vince, is it mm-hmm. was the irony, of course, was I got a lot of hate mail from gun lovers. Most of it very respectful and not a single death threat. And yet I reflected on the Eagles hate mail and I remember there were many death threats. So I was thinking peaceful, easy feeling, my ass. Those Eagle fans wanted my blood. The gun owners just wanted to educate me about the joy of an AR-15. Footnote, not to me. What type of people listen to the Eagles and what type of people own guns? I'm not going to even try to... I'm not going to characterize... Are they different types of people? Do you think Eagles listeners have guns. I think of there's the broad overlap. In the Venn diagram of Eagles owners and gun owners, uh, there, is a, there is an overlap. Is it possible that one of those gun owners actually threatened your life when you wrote the Eagles uh, article? And then refrained from threatening my life this time. In the gun article. It, it's very possible. I got a lot of hate mail. But if you want to read the story, and yeah. I urge you to, it's on nydailynews.com. It was the biggest story this week, more traffic than we've ever experienced on a Gersh Kunstman story. So I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that. I'm saying it. I'm it's proud the, of it. It's the biggest story. It's the biggest Gersh story uh, as of yet, so far. But I, yeah, it is by far. But I want to bring up something. I like to talk about myself on the show. I don't know why. Last week we had a whole discussion about my psychology as a parent. We're going to talk about that again. But before that, Vince. Yes. I want to talk about you a little bit. Oh, what happened? Well, you're a handsome man. Oh, and as such, Vince DiMaselli answered an open audition call to audition for Murder at the Food Co-op this week in Manhattan. I don't know how I got by security. We, we got you past security because we approved your audition request. We brought you into the studio, but I wasn't in the room with you. No, I'm, you, just, you I'm just the producer. You completely threw me under the bus. Tell me how the experience went. First of all, did you get the role? Well, they said the callbacks will be in a couple of weeks, which I think is the, the term they use when they say, no, you did not get the role. No, they literally said... Don't call us, we'll call you. No, they didn't literally mm-hmm. say that. They said callbacks will be in All right, so how was the experience? I mean, you go in there. First of all, what did you sing? I had to sing Something's Coming, as I practiced last week so on the show. Give me a little bit of that. Could be, who knows, there's something to do any day. I don't know right away. Soon, I will know right away. Soon as it shows, so on and so forth. So the, I, I got to say, that was good, albeit a little thin. That's a little thin. I'm not because you're more of a recording artist rather than a Broadway artist. Yeah, I need to work in a studio. Yeah, that's right. Well, we, we're not doing Murder in the Food Co-op in a I'm vacuum. A, I'm a soul singer in a session band. <laughs> Murder in the Food Co-op, of course, at the Fringe Festival this summer. Anyway, so then what, what, what little bit of monologue, comic monologue did you do? Well, I had to write my own comic monologue. You did not have to. Well, no, they said I could do it. But then I actually wrote this comic monologue about um, 
like a little kid trying to make his dad laugh and then milk coming out of his nose. And then subsequently, I remembered that I completely lifted it from an old uh, Saturday Night Live sketch. Wow. So subsequently. So you're a plagiarist. I didn't even know I was a plagiarist, but I'm certainly a plagiarist um, like deep in my mind. Well, as far as I'm concerned, you're a great actor, a great singer, but also a plagiarist. And I cannot give you a role in Murder at the Food oh. Co-op. Anyway, Murder at the Food Co-op this year. I worked, the greatest thing about it was I was able to put together a, a fantastic headshot. The headshot is great. I, great. I, I, did, did, can we put that up, Jimmy? Can we put that headshot up? Put it up. I know it's radio, but we're going to put the headshot yes. up. All right. As I said, we got Adam Duritz coming on in a couple of minutes. We also have Joshua Fisher, author of the book Meet the Regulars, People of Brooklyn and the Places They Love. He'll be on live in studio. But I've got another topic I want to bring up. What's that? Did you hear the news? Which news is that? I don't relish reporting this, but this news has been spreading all over town. Okay. Empire Mayo, the Mayo store I that launched know. a lot of jokes about Brooklyn hipsters, has closed. They couldn't catch up with the competition. It's shocking. Well, listen, when you go up against big mayonnaise, yeah, that's you're, right. you're in trouble. Hellman's. You go up Mir- against- is Miracle Whip technically mayonnaise? I, I mean, I'd call so. it a salad dressing. It's not really a mayonnaise. But you're going up against it when you're coming out with your own mayonnaise. Yeah, but a bespoke mayonnaise, mm-hmm. I say mayonnaise, mayonnaise. In, in, in Brooklyn should have been a no-brainer. You would think that it would have it would have succeeded. So my girlfriend is listening. Uh huh. Honey, you're out there. I hope you're listening. Mm-hmm. She used to buy Empire Mayo, and it was an outstanding product. I would say don't buy the jalapeno. It was extremely spicy. The ghost pepper. They had many different types of mayonnaise, correct? It yep. wasn't like you didn't go in that store, and it was just jars and jars of the same mayonnaise. No, that would be an idiotic idea. They yeah. had like 50 varieties, and some of them were outstanding. And it'll change your mind about mayo. So I guess this is a bit of a – it's like an obit. I don't think you have to change my mind about mayo, though. I've always been a believer in mayonnaise. (laughs) That's true. If there's anybody out there who loves mayo – I don't believe in Beatles. I just believe in mayonnaise. (laughs) Yoko and mayonnaise. (laughs) I do believe in Yoko and mayonnaise. All right. So anyway, rest in peace, Empire Mayonnaise on Vanderbilt Avenue. Uh, I bike past you all the time. Stopped once. Got some mayonnaise for my girlfriend. And Uh that was the only time I was in there. I enjoyed the mayonnaise. Um, listen, we got one more big story, big news story that I saw today in the, this morning's New York Times. The Times, writing yes, about a, Brooklyn? Listen, I'm not one of those guys who's like a community newspapers or bust guy. The New York Times breaks the story, you know, hat tip to the New York Times. But this, yeah, no, we have a thing on our website. It's called the Brooklyn Wire that it'll pull up a Times story the second it mentions Brooklyn. Exactly. Any yeah. story that mentions Brooklyn, you go to Brooklyn Wire. And I don't can't believe they could do that, but it, they do it. They give perfect, it away. It's perfectly legal. Anyway, so no, I meant in terms of your, you put your competition right there on your website. I'm not afraid to do that because you're that good. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. anyway, I, I'll tell you what the story said, Vince. I don't know if you read it. So you always hear about these stories. And that way, if the competition beats me on something, I I still got it. You, it's already on your site. I win. You were the first to do that. It's aggregation a no lose. Thing. We yeah. did that years ago. Yes, we did a video. It's online. Automated aggregation. So the point I'm trying to make about ferries. Mm-hmm. This story described New York City is going to get um, San Francisco or European style ferry service. What is a San Francisco style ferry? Well, you you've been to Sausalito. What is it got like a like a like it's being pulled by a wire of some sort underneath? No, no, no. no. This is real ferry service. Seattle, for example, revolutionized ferry service. But New York, this is back to the future time, baby. New York had ferries. The problem with ferries, and Vince, you've written this, mm-hmm. the problem with ferries is they are highly subsidized form of transportation. I don't see why that's a problem. but No, it's not, I'm not saying it's a problem. Me, it's a problem in terms about. of making the money work out. The reason private ferry operators are constantly in, in, in financial trouble is it's no. very expensive the to run o- these ferries. The only way you're going to make a ferry work is if it's just a municipal ferry yeah. and it's run by the city and that's it. And that's what the Staten Island Ferry is and that's the only way you make it work. I mean, it's not like we have uh, private industries building our roads. But quite frankly, a ferry is just like a road. It's a way to get from one place to another. Well, the good news, Vince, is that that's exactly what the mayor is planning. So maybe for once you can give a little hat tip to the mayor if it works, if it works. Well, I think it ne- you need to have a, a, a free transfer to the subway. Uh, I don't I, know about that. This. It's going to cost a subway ride. It's going to be a No, that's subway. ridiculous. It's not going to cost a subway ride. It's going to cost the same price yeah, as a subway right. ride. If it costs the same as a subway ride, then that would mean you would get a transfer as on the subway. You're right. It's going to cost a subway ride plus another subway uh, ride. And I don't think that's splitting hairs. Uh, That's not splitting hairs. That is the reality. All right. Well, listen. You can get a lot more for your money in a subway than you can on the ferry. Okay. Well, listen. Abundantly clear. And the bus, for that matter. All right. Well, I got to pay some bills because we got Durwitz calling in five minutes. Adam Durwitz of Durwitz of uh, Cannon Crows is calling in five minutes, but I got to pay some bills. Go pay. And you want to talk about money? You're like sitting there talking about money. Well, I care about every penny that's in my pocket. In fact, I got like eleven cents on me right now, and the reason is. 
I've been going to expensive dentists in Brooklyn Heights and Park Slope. Well, I don't want to do it anymore. Go to Joseph Lichter. Lichter's got state-of-the-art technology, techniques. He's going to provide the best experience possible. I know this. His staff performs traditional dental procedures such as teeth cleaning, fillings, root canal, all that stuff. Extraction. Who gets a tooth extracted nowadays? Well, he doesn't. Yeah. But he does more important things. Invisalign, which is those alternative to metal braces that go right behind your teeth. Nobody sees them. You can get fixed bridges, porcelain veneers. It's all at 10 to 50% less than those fancy Brooklyn Heights or Park Slope dentists. So what you do is you call Dr. Lichter's office today at 718-339-7878. Set up an appointment. And he's located at 1420 Avenue P between East 14th and 15th Streets in Midwood. You can visit the website at josephlichterdds.com. That's great stuff. Guys. It is. It is. No, Dr. Lo- Joseph Lichter's been doing it for years, and it's wonderful. Listen, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Atlas Steakhouse. Atlas Steakhouse offers you a unique dining experience. First, you choose your steak, and every cut is aged to tender perfection on site. Then, you pair it with a vintage from their extensive wine selection or with an Atlas Steakhouse signature cocktail. You can enjoy a succulent appetizer as their master chef crafts your choice cut as you desire. And when your main course arrives, you will understand why at Atlas Steakhouse, you're always a cut above the rest. It's Atlas Steakhouse, 943 Coney Island Avenue. You can visit them online all the time at atlassteak.com. You know they're serving brunch now, Kirsch. Well, they should serve brunch because I like steak and eggs. I do. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. All right. Uh, Jimmy, we paid the bills. Now, the bills at, this have point, been paid. at this point, we're just stalling until Durwitz calls. Well, it's talk. Adam Durwitz of Counting Crows. Now, now Vinny, I, we used to listen to August and Everything Ever After all the time. Like, <laughs> Everything we, Ever After. <laughs> we used to listen to that album start to finish. I'm the Rain King, Omaha, the title track, of course. We, we really, I mean, but what do you like about that album so much? All right, I'll tell you my uh, my Counting Crows story. Basically, I'll be I'll be short and to the point. I was taking a shower one morning, listening to WNEWFM, which you may or may not remember. Mm. All, always rocks, always will. They said. Yeah, no, they're not around that, anymore. No, it didn't happen. That didn't wow. work. It didn't work out. Rock that way. is dead. Yeah. So I heard uh, Mr. Jones come on, huh. and then I found myself on the subway that day, like humming the song along. I just heard it once. La 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 la. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those songs. It's like oh, so this is pretty good. So I had a guy at work with me. His name was uh, we called him Marky Mark, and um, it wasn't a real Marky Mark. It was, no, that would have been nice. No, it would have been cool. It was some other Marky Mark, and uh, he had like he was really into music. His whole office. I worked at an advertising agency at the time. Really? Uh, yeah. Right. And he had lots of stuff. And I walk in. I'm like, hey, did you hear this song, this uh, Mr. Jones song? And he's like, did I hear it? And he hands me the, uh, hands me the cassette. Wait, just slow down for a second. When that album came out, you weren't working. You were at the Brooklyn Paper. No, no I wasn't at the Brooklyn Paper. This is 1992, 93. No, is it really? Yeah, we're all going to die, Gersh. Wow, we're old. We are. Oh, so the, how, did, how old does that make Durwitz? He just turned 50. He's probably oh, 51. we're going to talk about he's how like, I'm, I'm 51. You guys are the same age. Wow. You're probably born the same year. You guys got a lot in common. I mean, we have that in common. We're you born do. in the same year. Yeah. That's Other than that, he's got talent. I've got looks. Well, some say. <laughs> I don't All know. right, so so I listened, to, and then he just gave me the album. So I listened to the album. And I've, it is the most purchased album of my life. What do you mean, most purchased? I've, I've owned it in so many different ways. Probably on vinyl, on uh, on cassette, on eight track. You had it on Betamax. Too. On iTunes. On uh, you know. What See, that's that? the flaw. I want to ask Durwitz about that. What? Why do I have to buy his album so many times? Yeah, you would think mm-hmm. you buy it once and then you own the rights to it. You just, yeah, I can just download it wherever I am. Yeah, like you would think that that's the case. You but plug in a code. Technically, it's not the case. No, actually, it is the case. There's now, you know, you nowadays you get a movie, a DVD. It gives you a little coupon. You punch that number I into love that, something. Yes. That's pretty good. I like that. No. Speaking of punching numbers, Jimmy, when he calls, you going to punch him in? Yeah. Awesome. No, he doesn't have to. It'll go in automatically. Is that an auto auto answer? Yeah, it's on auto answer. We'll I just fine. got a little nervous. I want to remind you. The phone you, will ring, and it may be Adam Durwitz. It might be, you know, somewhat like a helper. I can't give out the number yet because all our callers might call in and block Adam Durwitz. I can't yeah, have no, that. No, we don't want that. After Durwitz is off the phone, I'm going to give you the number. And remember, I'm paying $10 to our first caller. I'll give the number after the Durwitz interview. So I listened to the album, love the album, and I decided at that point that I'm going to buy every Counting Crows album after that. And I 
decided that once before with some other groups as well. So like Bon Jovi, for instance, Billy Joel. I've listened to all these all these albums, and I would buy it. No matter what the album was, I bought it. You're like a completist. You, I, I'm the same way about Neil Young. And I also tried that with a, a band called The Outfield in the early in the mid 1980s. Well, I remember The Outfield. Yeah, they not a good a, band. Yeah, no, they had a song. They had a, an album called um, Play Deep. Play Deep. And I still have it. I have the original CD that I bought. But I never bought their second album. I remember going in and saying, hey, I'm going to buy the second album. It's called Bangin'. And I didn't buy it, and I never did. And, you know, I, I don't really regret that. You're talking about their first album like it's the Holy Grail. You're Listen. Like, oh, I got the first Play copy D. of it. Play D was a, is a very good album. Uh, look, Huey Lewis in the News put out a, a mega gold record called Sports when we were, when we were kids. Doesn't mm. mean it's a great album. No, it was a mega super. No, but I'm saying that uh, Play Deep is a great album. I have like, no, I, I and they say that the song uh, "Your Love," you know that song, right? Go, sing it a little. Josie's on a vacation, uh, yeah. one of the greatest songs of all time, and it's played by almost a- everyone because it's like so easy to play. It's a, it's simplification, and sometimes simplification in music is is very good. Well, I mean, Durwitz will certainly agree with you on that. I don't know. Maybe, well, maybe why we'll would he not him. agree? Why do you not agree? Maybe he's not into simplification. I mean, if we have to make this a hostile witness situation, I'm happy to do that. You're going to put him on the uh, in the uh, what is that called? I put there? him on the plancha and grill him like a piece of free range salmon. The plancha is like a piece of wood. Yeah, plancha. That you put on top. Oh, of by the way, Vince, I forgot to tell you, I brought what you happened? a souvenir of my gun shooting experience. Oh, Jimmy, can we show this? Is it I a got it. It's a it's an AR-15 shell casing. Can I just bang that against it? Oh, that's real. Can you hear that? That is yeah, real. That's real. What that sound like? Jimmy? I'm going to see. Wait, anyway, that's a souvenir. I don't smell anything. It smells like victory. Can't you smell well, it? Well, that is. I guess that's what that is. So a lot of my hate mail, just as Jerowitz is coming in. As Jerowitz is coming in, uh, I want. I'm reminded by Johnny, our other producer, to give out our email address because let's let's talk about getting in some comments. You can email Brooklyn Paper Radio at cnglocal.com. Can you? You can. Apparently, they've set that up. Yeah. Brooklyn Paper Radio at cnglocal.com. And where does that go? Like, who can? Who has access to that email? Because no one's told me about it. Yeah, no one has been monitoring that email address. But we're going to start doing that, uh, Johnny. You're going to start doing that. Yeah, Johnny, can you can you monitor that email address? I'll monitor that. And All the right. best part about that is, no, you're Jimmy. I'm talking to Johnny. Oh yeah, please. The best part about an email address like that is, if you email us, we will read your email on the air. So this is like in the 50s when you'd call up, you'd send a postcard to Casey Kasem. Mm-hmm. And you'd say, Casey, I don't think you, Casey was on in the 50s. Can you, I'm talking about Wolfman I think he was. Jack, I think he was. And you'd say, Casey, can you, Ron read, Lundy. Can you read this postcard to my, to, to my baby? And you'd say, well, this is Johnny. Johnny from Brooklyn wants us to send out a song. You know, that we're going to do that. Stan Z. Burns. Hey, he was he on 10 Wants you to play Wings. Stand By Me by, by Yeah, that also, also the 60s. And all in all. No, anyway, stop. Anyway, I don't sing as well. That's why I didn't audition for Murder at the Food Cop. But you're going to get a part anyway. Yeah, I'm man in the jumpsuit. Really? Yeah. I think yeah. you should be the judge. No, there's no judge. It's, a, it's you, a murder, gotta, but there's no gotta trial. Write, you got to write that in. So, guys, if you are interested, I'm, I mean, I'm, we're, we're crapping around here, but if you're interested in Murder at the Food Cop, you just go to gershkunstman.com. You can listen to all the songs. You can read a synopsis. You can see our pictures. You can read our press release. It's very exciting. Gershkunstman.com. Your leading source for Murder at the Food Co-op news. And Gersh Kuntzman news, I guess. <laughs> that is true. You could, you could just go to the Daily News and read his column, or you could go to his website and, and read something else. Yeah, hey, multimedia. You could follow me on Twitter at, at Food Co-op Murder, <laughs> or you could follow me at Gersh Kuntzman. Jimmy, you following me? I follow you on Twitter, yes. Yeah, you should follow me on Twitter. I do a lot of crazy stuff on Twitter. I asked Jimmy. Jimmy comes in today, and I'm like, hey, do you know who's on the show today? He's like, no. Yes, great. You don't read the paper? Like, read, the web, read the website. We have it, We had it up all day. Oh, we great. have an update on a story. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about there's a newspaper in Vermont that is having an essay contest, and we were going to enter it, and we were going to talk about, like, This Week in Syrup and all that kind of stuff. Well, of course. turns out we didn't get the newspaper. We didn't get it. But the Hardwick Gazette is going to go on without us. Oh, really? Who won it? Oh, I don't know. Some, some guy in Vermont. Oh, they always do that. Yeah, there's always those guys. No, they want to keep it local. Well, I mean, we're, we're, your news, your your world. No, your world, your news. The, the entire world is local to me. See, if we took over the Hardwick Gazette, mm-hmm. we would change the logo to be just the map of that town on the globe, like you did with the Brooklyn Paper logo. That's how we would do it. Yeah. So we it are. would be very consistent. Our logoing would be very yeah, consistent. Very consistent. Very consistent. We would keep it. Uh, we would keep it consistent. So as as uh, we said earlier, we are waiting for uh, Adam Duritz from Counting Crows, one of the greatest bands of the '90s. I enjoy them. I mean, 
granted, my tastes are a little bit more like Bright Eyes and Wilco, but still, I enjoy so, the band. But have, has your taste changed since the 90s, or are they uh, consistent? Uh, very consistent. I like... What's, I like going, what's going on with... What, what is it about songwriters and singers and songwriters that as they get older, they tend to lose like the, the critical appeal or the critical acclaim? What is, and I think it's specifically we, to rock and rollers. I'd like to ask Jared that, but I'll tell you what I determined... A couple of weeks ago in the Daily News for Bob Dylan's 75th birthday. No. I wrote a takedown of Dylan. Gersh Kunstman taking down Did Dylan. Did take him down because what? Because he continued making once music? Once upon or? a time, he used to be good. He Up until around 2000, but he was great. Every job that you have, yeah. for the most part, yeah. that doesn't require some sort of physical activity like a sport, yeah. you, know, you continue to get better. You, at it. You, he, listen. But when it comes to rock and roll singers and songwriters, you ask that question. it seems that people think as they get older, they don't get better. Now, I would not say that of, of Adam Derwitz because I, I love the latest album. I actually saw him on the street uh, outside of uh, Cooper Union. Really? And uh, I was ordering a taco. And either he was on in front of me or behind me. And I said, hey, great new album. He said, thanks. I said, oh, you're welcome. That was my last interaction. <laughs> you know who I saw on the street yesterday? Who? Oh. Peter Max, the artist Peter Max. Peter Max. So I said, I'm a big fan. It's like, I don't think artists have that. Like, oh, I really like your work. It's like, because <laughs> that's a weird No, thing. I was specific. I was like, no, new album's great. And I did love the new album. What's the new album called, Vince? The new album was uh, not Underwater Sunshine. That was the album before. It was, uh, oh, I got it right here. Hold on. Well, I can Google it too, Vince. I'm not Come Googling on. it. I got it. Looks it looks like you're no, Googling the, it. The difference is I have it on my iTunes. Oh, they screwed up iTunes so badly. They're going to fix it. It doesn't that. work on desktop. It doesn't work on mobile. They're going to fix it yeah, so, yeah. somewhere under Wonderland. Somewhere and I didn't, under Wonderland. Just so you know, that was from memory. If you look here. I know. He's looking right now at iTunes, but he's got movies up. I got the Argo, movies up. Despicable Me. Hey, start, play The Martian. I want to watch The Martian. I again. got The Martian. All right. I got Big Fish. I like Big Did Fish. Did you see Big Fish? Yeah, Big Fish was good. It's, it's a good movie. It's pretty old at this point. It is old, but you buy, like you said now, you buy one of these movies, you get the digital copy, and you keep it forever. Well, you should keep it forever. You bought it. You, right. you break it, you bought it. My son's a big fan of uh, the Tom Cruise movie, so you like Mission Impossible. Uh, yeah, MI4. He likes those. Is that M. Cole and I-4? I don't know how they did that. It's, it's bad. That's bad typography. I am one of the last defenders of Tom Cruise. I listen, did you, what was the movie he, he did uh, before this last Mission Impossible? It was. Oh, oh that could, could be, be Adam Durwitz. I'll pick it up. Yeah, just pick up his speaker. Hello? Hello, it's Gersh Kunstman and Vince DiMaselli of Brooklyn Paper Radio. Who are we speaking with? Hi, I'm going to put Adam Duritz on the phone. Oh, this fantastic. is very fantastic. Perfect. Who was, who was that? Adam, you're on. Adam, Adam Duritz, how are you? This is Gersh Kunstman and Vince DiMaselli of Brooklyn Paper Radio. How's it going? <laughs> we were going to ask you the same question, but thank you for coming on in advance of your Coney Island concert later this summer. How have you been? I'm okay. There you go. Where are you right now, just so we can set the scene for our listeners? Home in New York. Home in New York. Oh, see, he's in go. New York. There you go. That's it. So listen, you're going to be playing this new amphitheater in Coney Island. Now, you, you, have, a, you have some experience in Coney Island. I, I know some of the videos you shot, you shot out there. I was at a show at uh, Hammerston Ballroom a couple years back, and you mentioned that you'd been out there like just a few days before. Uh, so are you, like, tell, tell me about your experiences in Coney Island and why you, uh, how you guys end up doing the show out there. Well, I mean, the only thing I've really done out there is uh, I went up to see a friend film out there once, but then I uh, we made the movie, uh, the video for Big Yellow Taxi at Coney Island. Yeah, it was shot. It all... was kind of cool because it was a, uh, it was a, uh, you know, amusement park in winter. Yeah. You know, and it, and it was kind of a, uh, it all seemed so sad and desolate and beautiful. The, it was kind of great though. The irony, of course, is you can't get a Big Yellow Taxi in Coney Island anymore. It's like impossible. Just a little irony. I don't know if that's ironic. It's just, it's it's just sad. It's just hey, true. it's the magic of filmmaking. Don't ruin it. <laughs> there you go. Sorry. Sorry about that. Well, uh, no, I, I always find Coney Island to be an attractive place in winter and summer because of what you talk about. That kind of and, and that's the kind of thing that a songwriter like you homes right in on. That's kind of sadness, the bittersweet quality. That's a big Vince DiMaselli thing, by the way. He yeah. likes that sad stuff. That's so what let's, I, let's, let's keep it sad, okay? That's what, that's what, I, that's what, I, that's what I'm into. That's one of the reasons I love Counting Crows so much. So, the the songs and why not? It makes for a poignant poignant uh, podcast. <laughs> well, let me ask you: Are you a sad guy, Adam? Because your songs are like they they tap into the melancholy of the American experience uh, and my personal experience too. Are you a sad guy? Well, I would say I mope. You mope, but I do that professionally. It's not a twenty-four hour a day thing. I only mope at work. <laughs> he sounds he sounds he's in a pretty good mood right now. 
I like that you can mope at work. You're writing a song. You're sitting probably alone writing a song. Like if I mope at the office. Right now, no, no, I wasn't. I was watching a movie. Uh, no, I'm saying, well, <laughs> when you when you do your work, you're you're sitting there and you got to tap into that sadness. If I do that at, at the office, everyone's like, ooh, what's wrong with Gersh? Ooh, should we do something? Ooh, you know, it's it's a pain in the ass, frankly. Maybe, but you might seem mysterious and and powerful too. Mm. I like that mystery. I don't women. think you should discount that entirely. Mysterious and powerful will get you places too. What about you're talking about with women, obviously? No, just look at the Wizard of Oz. Wow, it works he, all over the place. He pulled out a Wizard of Oz reference. That's mysterious and powerful. I mean, he, but the great and powerful Oz. I mean, pay no attention to that man behind the uh, curtain. No. I mean, he doesn't say mysterious. He just says great. But if you think about it, it's kind of mysterious. <laughs> He's very mysterious until they until Toto basically grabs his little pant leg and the whole jig is up. Yeah. How would yeah. we get on this one? I don't know. That's what happened. Vince, look, I want you to know, Vince introduced me to your, your band, your music. I love it. But Vince has to ask you the tough questions. Vince, go. Why do you, you always throw because me under the bus like that? The fact is, that. Adam, this is not just like puff piece time. This is tough question time. Vince, go. Well, Wait, before we go further in this, let me remind you, though, because it just occurred to me that even with his him being unmasked, <laughs> the book and the movie are not called Dorothy and her dog. Good point. It's called The it's Wonderful called Wizard, the Wizard of Oz. Of Oz. Yeah, right. that's a good point. Is it called The it Wonderful Top Billing? The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Is that the actual name of the, the book? book? You mean no? The book is the no. Wizard that was of just Oz. a song. Uh, the book is the, the Wizard of Oz just, by, by L. Frank Baum. I heard of him. All right. Anyway, so, v- so you're trying stuff. to you're trying to dodge and burn here, Adam. But <laughs> Vince has got the tough questions. Now listen, you played. Oh, I don't know what I'm dodging and burning yet. Yeah, you, I, I will dodge and burn, but not until you tell me what it is. Here it comes. You, you played Brooklyn. You played Sorry Williamsburg. I was at the uh, concert in Williamsburg, and and uh, that particular venue was uh, it was I guess sold. It, it moved from one venue to another, where there was a great view of Manhattan, a view of the skyline, and you're on stage, and now we're looking the other way, and we're looking toward, I don't even know what we were looking toward. Well, we, you know, and you kind of had a, a, a reaction to that, but now this, this theater in, in Coney Island, do you know anything about it? No, but i tell you about the thing in Williamsburg, because I'm with you on this one. I, I had heard about the venue in Williamsburg on the water, and it was supposed to be really beautiful. I'd seen pictures of it from the year before. Mm-hmm. And we agreed to play there. And then they moved it to a parking lot a little bit inland. That's right. And they painted the parking lot blue as if that's the same thing <laughs> as being right by the water. And all I could think of on stage was, this is not what I was promised. Yeah, so, This is good. not on the water in Williamsburg. Like, they moved it into a parking lot because it was bigger. Well, you look. You, it was just you, a concrete lot painted blue. But you it's sell not tickets. It's the same you thing know? as being by the water. Right, but for the band, I mean, you're on stage either way, right? You want to just fill the place, right? Yeah, but there's a vibe. And there's a vibe. I mean, that was vibeless, that parking lot. <laughs> it was. It was. Now, it was vibe-free. Vibe it came free. completely vibe-free. Well, the, the new venue in Coney Island promises to be a lot nicer. I don't know if we're going to be facing the ocean or if we're going to be facing the uh, 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 Surf Avenue, but... You know, it's definitely going to have a, a a better feel. We're really looking forward to it. It's a big, uh, it's a it's a big opening up up here in Brooklyn, and and we're glad that you guys are going to be there. And I hope it, I hope it's a better vibe for you when you get there. I'll tell you that. Well, I got to think it's got to be. I mean, it's not that parking lots are bad. You know, Stone Pony down in Asbury Park at one point started having those outdoor concerts, and they just put it in the parking lot next to the building, and that was a great place to play a show. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that that had some vibe. All right, just so you know, I, that, I assume Coney Island is going to have vibe no matter what. Just so you know, that was just Vince's warm up. That was the easy question. <laughs> He's got the tough one coming now. All right, so I'm driving in my. That wasn't co- a really tough question. What was <laughs> no, the question? That was Did the I not e- answer the that question? That was the either? easy question. Here comes the tough one. I don't know where he's going with tough questions. Oh, okay. Listen, I'm driving in my car the other day with my kid, right? He's nine years old. He's a great boy, Adam. Okay. I don't know if you know him. He's a great kid. And what comes on the radio but uh, Hungry Heart by Bruce Springsteen, right? So we're singing along, right? Got a wife and kids in Baltimore, Jack. Right. And, um, and the song's very upbeat. As, you know? as one does. Yeah. As one does. <laughs> the song's very upbeat. And my son stops me like mid-verse, and he's like, Dad, this song is, is very sad. It's so sad. It's about he left his wife and his kid, and now he's off someplace else. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's, that's the magic there. That's the magic. It's the, the sad song that for some reason makes you feel good. And what I was explaining to Gersh before was, when I listen to your songs, which tend to be sad, it makes me feel good. So why is it that sad songs make people, specifically me, feel good when they should make me feel sad, shouldn't they? You know, this is the eternal question. The tough question. I told I'm you. I'm glad you asked me this. One. I'm glad you asked me. But, but, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. But I am glad you asked me 
because it enabled me to say, I'm glad you asked me. Well, what, well, I always what, wanted to say that. Well, what do you listen to? What Honestly, I don't know. I, you know, I thought at the beginning of our band that we would, one of the reasons I thought we'd never be very popular is because the music was very personal for me. Mm-hmm. And I actually had people at the record company early on tell me, you should change the way you write. You use too many proper names. You shouldn't say so many specific places in songs because it makes it so everybody can't identify with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I understood what they were saying. They, were, they made a point to me, multiple people at the record company at first, that we would never be really, really popular until I figured out how to write more general songs. And that's why you wrote um, like Einstein on the Beach or something like that? Nah, that was just an exercise one night. Okay. I was never putting that on any records. Yeah. Um, but uh, I funny. thought they were probably right, but I kind of didn't care because it still seems like a stupid way to write a song to be purposely vague. Um, well, work for I Bob Dylan. Right, and I was surprised when we were like really successful. But I, it turned out that like personal stuff for me, uh, somehow people identify with that, and it becomes personal stuff for them. Well, because when it's personal for you, they know it's real. Like you're tapping into the vein. Yeah, that's kind of how it turned out. Although I was surprised at that at the time because you know never had had a real experience with like mass culture. It made sense to me when people were telling me it was a bad idea to be specific. I just didn't want to listen to them very much. But I thought they were probably right. But it turns out, like, I don't know. We all identify with things together. Well, we, we all share a lot of experience, I guess, with each other in the world. And when someone puts it out there in a song or a play or a movie or a book or a painting, uh, it means something to the rest of the world to be able to feel what they were feeling. I think sometimes people don't necessarily want to just feel bad or feel good. They just want to feel something. I mean, I got to say, I look at a painting. I never get any of visceral reaction, the kind of stuff I get from your music or Bob Dylan or whomever. Well, who do you listen to? What, what music taps into that experience for you personally? Well, I like to listen to myself talk. <laughs> Musically. Musically. I don't know. Come on, you uh, like a guy we, like Connor uh, Oberst, you like Bob Dylan, obviously, you like Neil Young. What, what do you, when you sit down and you got to cook dinner, what do you put on? Seamless. I listen to all kinds of music all the time. Uh, I love Miles Davis. The last couple of weeks, I've been having a, a, a Bell and Sebastian uh, thing. I started at the very first album and went through about five records and three or four EPs and a couple bootlegs. Hmm. Um, I just was kind of like digging, going all the way through it. Um, uh, last the other night we were listening to uh, the first Ben Queller record, Shasha. That's a great record. I forgot how great that record was. Well, Jimmy, Jimmy, get us a copy of that album. Yeah, see if we can work on that. Our producer Jimmy. Yeah, it mean, get a it copy. means a lot. When when I I listened to I guess one of your albums you mentioned, I got Ben Folds on the radio, and like nice. a couple days later, I went out and bought the Ben Folds Five album, and I loved it. And oh. that, like that had an effect on on my actual that actually had effect on on what I purchase. You know, and then when I listened to that's Get- a great record. Yeah, yeah I mean, I it, it affected me too. <laughs> I was driving around that day, uh, listening to it in my car in L.A. I remember very vividly listening to it and then getting home, finishing uh, the song "Monkey," mm-hmm. and putting that last verse in that way. And and then listening to Gaslight Anthem, I we got the album at the office here, and then all of a sudden they get going, and Maria came from Nashville with the suitcase in his hand. I'm like, wait a second, that's a County Crows reference, which to me came out of nowhere. Got that album, and I've bought every album since. It's just great stuff. Look, I'm a Connor Oberst guy. Just yeah. putting it out there. Okay, well. You... So now you're doing this. Uh, Nobody cares. <laughs> this, this concert with uh, with uh, Rob Thomas. So how does that like? How does that come about? Like, do you guys have to sit down and figure out who's playing with who? And and like, is that do you, do you get like the the guys from the the corporate guys coming in and saying, oh, we're going to match you with this guy? How does it work out that you end up playing with Rob Thomas? Well, it's a little bit of all of that stuff. Obviously, they have their suggestions. I mean, first of all, you have to figure out who's touring that summer. So, mm. you know, you, you might ask your uh, agent about that just to get a list of people who actually are going to go out on the road because then you can figure out if people are actually working or not, whether you can go out with them. Um, so, I, you know, I get suggestions from people and lists of things, and then you know, pick who you want to go on tour with. You know, I, I really wanted to go out with uh, uh, Citizen Cope last year, for instance, and it just happened to be... I, a friend of mine had been turning me on to Citizen Cope, and I just happened to ask about them. And they were, strangely, the, one of the bands that came through on the first list our agent sent to me. And I was like, oh, let's go with them. There you go. Uh, and when we asked Citizen Cope, and they were into it too, and it was a great summer. See, you I'm... know, like uh, I was on the phone with uh, 
Chris Caraba from Dashboard Confessional sure. is one of my best friends, and we've mm-hmm. been talking for years about touring together, uh, and we were thinking about doing that next summer. Sometimes it's just two friends talking about touring, and then you do it. In this case, uh, somebody brought up the suggestion of Rob, and we were talking about it. I used to be really good friends with Rob. Like 20 years ago, we were really good friends. I haven't seen him much for the last 10 years, but uh, it seemed like a fun idea. I thought it would be a really good tour. It would sell a lot of tickets, and um, it's kind of nice to spend time with people you like because you're on the road so long. You don't want to travel around with douchebags. <laughs> that is very. <laughs> I, I say that to you Vinny know, all a really the time. Good guy. I, I, that is like with the motto that Vince and I live our life by. You do not want to travel with douchebags. Yeah, it's a, when you're when you're hiring someone at the office, you want to make sure they're not a douchebag. Actually, I will tell you a story, Adam. Just I know you, obviously you're the celebrity, and we're a bunch of bozos. But we once hired a douchebag. <laughs> we used to have a tradition where we'd always get free pizza on production night. And this guy got the pizza, decided he wasn't it was, hungry. It was, it was a hard-fought <laughs> tradition. It was hard very difficult. When you work for a local paper, it's tough to get somebody to buy you a pizza. Anyway, he, so he says, I'm not really hungry. And he throws it out. Throws it out. And then the boss comes in and is like, hey, I guess I don't have to buy you guys pizza anymore because you're just throwing it out. And we fired that guy. We did. So just so you know, don't work with douchebags. Yeah, and that sort of douchebaggery will wear you out. <laughs> Life's exhausting enough without a guy throwing out the pizza. That's exactly right. Right. And then three hours later, Vinny and I were hungry, and we were like, "Hey, what's that smell?" And we looked around, and there it was in the garbage. If it's just been on the table, it we would have eaten it. It was the most expensive slice you can get. Unbelievable, so. Adam. Now I'm riled up. Yeah. Bring me down. Give I me don't something. Blame <laughs> Give me something. <laughs> Give me something. Oh, I'll tell you something. I'm going to throw a blast from the past at you. Because my girlfriend, who is listening and loves you, although loves me more, frankly, she loves that song you did going back to Georgia with Nancy Griffith. Do you remember recording that song? Jimmy's going to play a tiny snippet of it, but do you remember recording that no, song? of course, yeah. She says, she says your voice is what makes the song even more than the song itself. I give it a tie. <laughs> uh, I, that's my favorite guest vocal. I've, that's my favorite duet I've ever done. Yeah, your voice is fantastic. My girlfriend, who actually is like a musicologist or something, she's like, he's got that plaintive voice. I can hear the pain. You're pulling it off, baby. I got to tell you, this is funny. I was just talking about this a few days ago, this song, because my parents sold the house in Berkeley, and they moved down to Santa Fe. They moved to New Mexico. And they're having dinner the other day, and they meet this guy at dinner named Al Anderson, who you may remember was the guitar player for NRBQ. Oh, Remember yeah, that band? Yeah, yeah, sure. New Rhythm and so, Blues uh, Quartet. Yeah, so Al, who I was, I idolized as a kid. I mm-hmm. saw them a hundred times, probably. Um, but more importantly, the vocal that I, the, the, the uh, trace vocal that I originally replaced on that, on that was, was Al. Oh. Al plays the guitar on Going Back to Georgia, and he sang the original vocal on it. I ended up rewriting all the, all the man's parts. I rewrote the lyrics except for the chorus. But that was, it was his voice I replaced on that. So we're on that song together. And my dad said to me, yeah, I met the most interesting guy the other day. I wonder if you ever heard of him. His name's Al Anderson. He said, holy crap, Dad. Like, first of all, he's my idol. Second of all, you tell him your, your son did a duet with him. You know, we're, we're on a song together. But your father didn't know. So, so that's he, pretty cool. He didn't close the circle. I was just circle. thinking about that like two days ago when my dad brought it up. So now we've closed the circle because it's like you, me, my girlfriend, your dad, and Al Anderson. We're like one. We're like, one, we're like a family now. Does it work like that? I'm not sure. I'm not like talented, that. Adam. I'm that not was talented. That's a really fun thing because I showed up for that, and Nancy was really cool. We were in Nashville. I'd never really been to Nashville before. I flew in between two gigs, uh, and we worked on it all one night. And then she took me out drinking. Nice. And we got hammered, and she told me like old time country stories. No, it, was, it was it was good. It was what, so much fun. She can obviously perform with anybody. She picked you because she liked your your voice for that song. You think? Yeah, and she let me rewrite it too, which I was I was really pretty intimidated coming in there and saying hey could i write my part wow. <laughs> but she was really cool about it i mean i i idolized her too so you're getting uh, royalties really... off of that song now do i get royalties i probably get some kind of publishing i don't know yeah there you go maybe That's like, you get those like seven cent not checks. much i mean she wrote most of it i just wrote some lyrics i know but like steve martin used to get seven cent checks and you know royalties in the in the jerk did so, he cash oh did I he mean, cash like that yeah no i don't know i'm just oh, making it up movie, yeah anyway yeah, right. so 
the thing here is in, in the office, I'm the biggest, I'm the big County Crows fan, and I'm 45 years old. So obviously, 45. 45, Adam. Yeah. A so, kid, a baby. <laughs> so I, gr- I grew up with you. But I have, you know, young reporters working for me in their 20s, and they're like, oh, County Crows, yeah, they're good, they're whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 County Crows are, are awesome. They're fantastic. It's like the greatest band, whatever. They're, they're always like, I'm telling you. And they, I know and the kids. They're Fargo-based they call, kids. No, they call it dad rock. And to me, yeah. I'm just their dad. Yeah, well, that's bad enough. I know. And and I, and what I'm trying to figure out is what is it about rock and roll where as songwriters, and you know, your last album is fantastic. I love it. I listen to it every day. But as songwriters... The it seems like it seems as if as they get older, it's they you know they they're not going to get the kind of praise that they got when they were younger. You know when Mr. Jones came out and you guys were being called you know the next great thing, and then the years go by and all of a sudden it's just it's that excitement isn't there anymore. And I I always try to wonder or I try to figure out why that's the case. You know, Klosterman. Oh, well, I think it's it's pretty easy. Um, you know, rock and roll is not music's different from all the other art forms in that, like, it, it, you wear it as part of your personal cool. I mean, hell, you actually wear it as your T-shirt. I'm wearing a, a Phoenix, Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix uh, T-shirt right now. You know, mm-hmm. we wear our, our personal cool is so into the music for, for whatever reason. Like, unlike every other thing you might like, movies, art, whatever, you walk around wearing the band T-shirt. You talk about that band you like as a part of the clique of people you're in that's cool, it's a part of the, the journalism that goes into it, too, is talking about this, this music's cool, this music's uncool. We should all dress in plaid <laughs> and, and, uh, and wear Doc Martens for this decade, and that will be cool, even though, in, in a way, once you start doing what somebody else already did, you're pretty much the essence it, of uncool. It ceases but, being cool. You know, that's, that's kind of, music has that cachet to it that all these art forms don't have, that people get really wrapped up in describing themselves and their own kind of personal cool by the music they listen to. And once you start doing that, it's always going to be about whatever your new thing is, because that defines your generation or whatever. Musicians aren't really that way about it. Musicians just tend to like music. But it's the big part of being a fan and a big part of being a journalist in music, I think, is really talking about what's cool and what's not cool. Um, It's just kind of the culture of rock and roll has a lot to do with that. But, um, but the question, but I, think, I think it's just more of a fan thing than a uh, than a musician thing. But let's talk about but it's the, kind of life, you know. It's, there's no sense denying that like rock and roll started because a bunch of teenagers didn't want to listen to what their fucking parents were listening to, yeah, and they're like, "Fuck you, mom and dad," and mom and dad are like, "Hey, get off the lawn," you know. And, uh, <laughs> so they listen to their music. So that happens every every few years. That doesn't stop happening. But as but, a musician, you just try not to be the one standing up there saying, "Hey, get off my lawn." Well, that but, but now that, everyone else does it. That was the question that it's Vince part was, of life. You that, know, that was the part of the question that Vince was dancing around. And I and I grill salmons for a living journalistically, so I'm going to grill you right now. My question is: You write great songs early in your career. You write great songs middle of your career. I'm not talking specifically of you, but a, a guy like Bob Dylan, a guy like Neil Young. Wh- where does the creativity go? Why do they fall off the edge? Now, you don't have to speak specifically about those guys, but come on, I've been buying Dylan albums last. Five, six albums, they are bad. The songwriting's not there. The performance isn't there. What happens? You're a musician. No, you're not, I you're don't not... know. I wrote the best song of my life on our last album. So, um, no, I'm, you're not there yet. But, you... I, but I understand what you're talking about. But I, sometimes I wonder whether we're just not... A guy can be really ahead of his time at a certain point, and it may take everybody a little while to catch up with him. Yeah. But then they can always they get him. But maybe he moves on to something different and you don't catch up with him next time. You know, like, so uh, I think at the beginning of Dylan's career, a lot of people were really critical of him. Yeah, that's true. You know, but then we got to realize how cool it was, and now we've had 40 years to look back on Bob Dylan, and yeah, you know, believe me, you're a moron if you can't figure out that, like, a Rolling Stone is a good song at this point. Whether it was groundbreaking then or not, it's easy to see that it's good now. Maybe he's just interested in doing something else right now, and we're not seeing it, or maybe it's not quite as good. You know, art's a weird thing. You just do whatever you feel like doing. Yeah. And some people like it sometimes, and some people don't. I mean, don't forget, like, Van Gogh never sold a painting in his entire life. So for his whole life, he's a shitty indie band, not selling any records. I mean, his entire life, not one single painting. So he's a total failure. Well, now we can look at it and say, hey, Van Gogh's pretty good. You know, but at the time, he was like, shit, messy stuff. People didn't like it. You know, they couldn't get in any shows. I mean, it didn't match it's a weird their thing, ca- but it he's didn't just match doing the what he's doing because that's all any of us do. You just kind of... 
You follow your art where it goes, and you make it. Wow. And sometimes that's going to be something that everybody likes. Most of the time, it's going to be something that nobody cares about. And sometimes it's something that everybody hates. But, like, you know, it just the truth is we miss most of the great art. Like, for every band that you know that you love, there's five billion bands out there that are great that we've never even heard because most stuff just goes unlistened to. Yeah. You know, if we're, so someone like Dylan, I think it's just that what he's interested in doing might not match up with what you want to listen to all the time. And, uh, and, and if you have a whole lifetime with someone, you're bound to have periods where you just are not on the same track. Yeah. I mean, another thing to think about you is... You know, I just think it's, that's natural. I feel like you put out one great song, one great album, one great song... That's more than 99% of the planet is capable of doing. You've done, you, you're a greater artist than 99% of the planet with one song. And Dylan did it. But I don't think that's the case. Yeah. I think that there's a billion great songs out there. We just don't even hear most of them. You know, because like, I have friends who play in indie bands, a lot of them. And they are putting out records that are astounding, amazing records. But they're not going to go down like you know, Highway 61 Revisited because... Truth is that most music no one ever even heard hears. Mm-hmm. It's just really hard to become famous. It just doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Sometimes it's because you're not good enough. Sometimes it's because just because you just didn't get heard. And that think that happens to 99% of the, of the music out there. Nobody ever hears it. It's just well, I you know, it's just because fame and fortune and the kind of promotion it takes to become really well, I, well known I, just doesn't happen very often compared to all the stuff people are doing out there. Well, brought, all the art that's being made. I, yeah. I, I brought it up because, like, you know, everyone on Broadway is like, what's going to be the guy who wrote Hamilton? What's going to be his next show? Well, as far as I'm concerned, if he never writes a great show again, he's already written, like, the greatest show ever. Yeah, but it's already his third, too. Well, yeah. yeah. Like, Lin-Manuel <laughs> yeah. did, I know, because my friend Stu, I presented at the Tonys that year because my friend Stu had Passing Strange out there, mm-hmm, which was mm-hmm. a genius play. Yep, yep. And it was brilliant. I mean, Spike Lee made a movie of it. Mm-hmm. But he lost to Lin-Manuel that year yeah. for In the Heights which was also great, you know, and um, this is his third place, the first one that the whole world knows about, but he also wrote a lot of the lyrics and music, I think, to uh, Bring It On, Mm -hmm. a play about Mm -hmm. that movie about the cheerleaders, which should have been terrible, but actually wasn't because his stuff was so good. Um, You know, so he's a guy that's like, he's a really talented guy, and it's it's his third Broadway production, not just third play, it's his third Broadway production, and they've all been pretty successful, I think. This one is stratospherically successful but you know it's not like he appeared out of nowhere that's a talented guy who's been doing stuff for a while yeah no but my point was as a genius you know we can't expect everything to be perfect the next show could could not be good and that's fine no but and my point is you might not even notice it it's impossible that it it could come and go and in 10 years he may do some more great plays the next one could be a total flop and we'll have forgotten that it even existed. Yeah, and maybe you know the the stuff that you've done previously. It brings a, it brings a certain expectation from from you know the crowd out there that's listening, and and that's going to affect you know which songs they think are good and which songs they think are bad. But you mentioned a minute ago that on your last album, uh, somewhere under Wonderland, you wrote the best song of your life. And I, I'm going to guess Palisades Park, but you tell me which one it is. Yeah, I think Palisades is the best thing I've ever written. Wow. See? I'm Look, really proud of it. Vince is a fan. Like, maybe the best arrangement the band's ever done. It's a pretty challenging song to play live. I'm proud on 50,000 levels of that song. You know, and it, it's weird that it came at a time in my career when, no, the whole world is not going to know it. It's never going to be as well-known as some of the other songs. But, you know, it's still like, I, I got, I'm still playing music because, you know, your life doesn't end when you, just, when you become slightly less famous than before. You know, that just doesn't, you keep doing your work. I think you're saying thing. You're right about Neil Young too. You know, he kind of comes along and made some very memorable stuff. But he's a guy that never rested on the laurels. Mm-hmm. He kept making records, different records, all kinds of different stuff for his whole life. Now, not everything is going to appeal to us like Harvest does. But you know, he's not dead either. So he continues to be creative. You know, it just—it's hard when there's a moment where the whole culture lined up and said, "You're it," and then later on. You're not it, you know. And uh, when people want to come see you, maybe they want to remember when they thought you were it. Yeah. You want to tell them you're still breathing or walking around. It's just human. Yeah, it I, I gotta, I gotta let up on these guys a little bit, but because I just, I gotta let them do their own thing. They're artists, but sometimes they disappoint me. Well, it, it's natural. Well, it's also just, it's nothing really wrong with that. It's just that you really.
really love Neil Young and you want to hear, you know, Harvest again. But he, but he's doing something else. Or Russ never sleeps. But Neil's like, well, the nice thing is that you always have Harvest and Russ never sleeps. They don't have to go away for you. Neil's going to do what he's going to do, and you never know. It might come around that he makes one, and it does hit you the same way. Yeah, I mean, I love. But the you guy. always have the other ones, anyways, because he because he made them. But I say, you, you know, know, so it's like if you, I think the most artists also understand the. That's just kind of like the frailty of being human. It's natural to love something that made a certain moment in your life better, and then to wish the next thing would do the same thing again. But it, you know, can't always do that. Mm. Well, now it's sad. Now you got me down. You got me down. <laughs> See, professional moper. There you go. <laughs> no, because I love Neil Young, and it's like if I love him, I should set him free. I say, Neil, if you can hear the sound of my voice, do whatever you want to do, man. You're the greatest. And I say the same thing to Adam. I wouldn't sweat it. Neil's, Neil's doing whatever he wants yeah, to do. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't need me. He doesn't. I would feel worse for the people who didn't make that choice. Yeah, that's right. I'd like who Vince. tried to do like, the same shit over and over and over again. Tried to repeat mm -hmm. August and everything after, and then made August and everything after, and everything after that, and everything. You know what I mean? Like, Neil Young, man, he went out and did whatever the fuck he wanted to. I think he's probably perfectly satisfied. <laughs> I mean, uh, he never repeated shit. I mean, he really is. A, he's an artist. I mean, you got to you got to give it up for me. I mean, he's the Van Gogh, except he did sell everything. <laughs> you know, he's a real artist. Yeah. All right, Adam, we got to get out. We got to get out because we got to let you go. We got to pay some bills here. But I want to thank you for coming on the show. Last question I want to ask you is: You get to plug whatever you want. We let our guests just whatever's on your mind. What's your plug? Open mic. Go. Well, come early. If you come to our show, come early because the first band playing before Rob and before us. It's this kid, Kay Phillips, from, from uh, Austin, now, now in Nashville. His band, the Con Kay Phillips and the Concho Pearls, are amazing. Uh, they played in our Outlaw Roadshow, the indie festival we put on. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually sang on his new record. We did a great song together called Hadrian. And that kid is a genius. See, now he's... And it's worth seeing. If you're going to come to the show, come out early and see Kay Phillips. So I'm now, now he said thing. that, and now he's, a, he's great. Now I'm going to download the album because I trust his judgment. I trust Adam's judgment. <laughs> I'm going to buy that album. I'm going to buy, maybe I'll buy like four or five songs. Let's get just it. to get a taste of it. We will get him on the show. Adam, you were a gentleman for plugging him. You're a gentleman for coming on the show. Vince is your biggest fan. Really appreciate you coming I was, on. I was so happy he didn't squeal like a, like a, a Beatles fan in the '60s when you came on. But thank you for coming on and catch him at Conan. What's the date of that show, just so everybody knows? It's in August. Yeah, that's a good, I don't know. Okay, well, it's in August. We'll August give it, something. We'll give it after we pay some bills. We've got to do some ads. Adam Durwitz of County right. Pros, Thanks. rock and roll legend. Thanks for coming on. I really Thanks, appreciate it. Appreciate Take care. it. You got it. You know, Jimmy, we'll cut him right. off so he doesn't have to listen. There's a little of that going back to Georgia. If you can hear that, Adam, you're listening to the show. Anyway, I want to talk to you a little bit about something more important. And some old rock and roll. I want to talk to you about Atlas Steakhouse. And i got to tell you something. You can dine a cut above the rest of that Atlas Steakhouse. You select your cut. It's meat that's aged on site for optimal texture and taste. Vinny and I have been down there. You pair it with a vintage wine, a cocktail, maybe an appetizer like the crab cake. And then Atlas Steakhouse's chefs are going to craft that choice cut into a custom culinary masterpiece. Complete your dining experience with the dessert. And you'll understand why at Atlas Steakhouse you dine a cut. Above the rest. Atlas Steakhouse, 943 Coney Island Avenue. Find us online at atlassteak.com. And of course, after you have a great steak, you're going to want to get those teeth cleaned up. You're going to go see Dr. Joseph Lichter. Now, I'm, Vince, you know I'm the kind of guy who does not pay a lot for that muffler, in this case, my teeth. And that's great because I go to Dr. Lichter. Look, in, for example, Invisalign, the virtually invisible alternative to metal braces, which usually cost $5,000 or more, at Joseph Lichter How DDS. Much? $1,000. You can get those teeth cleaning, $3.95, etc., etc. It is cheap. It is affordable. It is high quality. It's Dr. Joseph Lichter, 1420 Avenue P in Midwood, or visit him online at josephlichterdds.com. That's josephlichterdds.com. Vince, I paid the bills. Good job. And you may want to introduce Joshua Fisher, who has just entered the studio. He's the author of Meet the Regulars. People of Brooklyn and the places they love. Joshua Fisher, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. i got to ask you the toughest question right off the bat. Why am I not in this book? I am the ultimate Brooklyn guy. They call me the <laughs> king of Brooklyn. I could have told you about all my old haunts. Instead, you got fancy people like, uh, like uh, uh, tell them who we got. We got that guy from New York 1, Pat Kiernan. Pat Kiernan's in here. We got, you know, Andrew W.K. at the Amarin Cafe. We got... 
uh, Alex Fafanoff. We got the Lucas Brothers. We got Kevin Corrigan. We Lola got Lola Star. Star. Anyway, why am I not in that book? Let's hear it. <laughs> I'm very sorry that I wasn't able to include you in the book, but uh, next time around, I'm sure we can find something that'll work out. With you in it. Apo- where, where are you a regular? Apology accepted. Yeah, I where, like, where are you a regular, Gersh? Come on. I love the double Windsor. I love Mile End. You'll see me there a lot. Okay, I will tell you that we go to Cafe Le Luc. Yes. On court on uh, on Smith Smith Street yeah. Smith Street Smith on Wednesday nights with the with the staff of the Brooklyn paper the editorial staff we'll show up there after a hard night of putting out the newspaper and we'll get a burger. So Josh, what's your where are you a regular? I'm a regular at a comedy night called Broken Comedy at Matchless, Bar Matchless at Williamsburg Greenpoint. And I actually write all about that in the last chapter of the book. It's called Where Everybody Knows Your Name, where I finally reveal where I'm a regular. But this book is primarily a book of photos and Mm -hmm. interviews with regulars at bars and restaurants and shops all over Brooklyn. And there's 41 of them in here with 123 photographs. And uh, four essays, four or five essays that I wrote. I mean, the, the photos are gorgeous. The essays are great. But I want to ask you, what was the biggest surprise for you, uh, when you of, of the people's where their regulars at? Because, I, you know, for me, it was Eric Adams is a regular at Woodland, which I didn't see coming. I would have said much, some, much more venerable Brooklyn bar. Woodland's a relatively new place. What was the big surprise for you? Well, that was a really interesting interview that you that you happen to mention. Well, that's what I do. Eric that's Adams. what I do, Josh. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. He's a that. two-timer on Brooklyn Paper Radio, <laughs> by the way. Uh, you know, the, the thing about Eric and, and Mr. Adams and Woodland is that I showed up early, and I was very nervous for this interview because if you know Eric Adams, he's got quite a pedigree, and uh, I'm not a former cop, and I'm not aspiring to be mayor of New York. And so I was quite nervous, but when he showed up, the whole place lit up. They yeah. all knew who he was. Yeah. He had a corner booth in the back, and I sat down with him. And the, the most surprising thing that occurred during that interview, or one of the most surprising things, was his order. And I include this in the intro uh, of that interview. Mr. Adams, uh, who is quite an intimidating-looking figure and someone who could definitely break me in half if he wanted to, hmm. uh, he ordered a glass of wine, but he ordered two glasses at the same time, and he also ordered some seltzer water. And what he would do is he created his own sort of wine spritzer. And uh, when I asked him, why is it that you pour half of your wine into an empty glass and add some uh, soda water, he said uh, in his very deep voice, he said, I like the effervescence. Nice. And that was a very surprising moment. he He could order champagne or sparkling wine, right? That's true, but he's he's the kind of guy who likes to create uh, things to his taste. That's about it's about making things, Gersh. Uh, listen, I'm a huge Eric Adams fan. I think he's a lovely gentleman. Uh, but no, I meant in terms of the surprises for you of a place or a person who loves a, a place that you thought like that's a weird place for that guy to like. Ah. I see. So is there somebody who went to a certain place where I wouldn't have expected them yeah, to Yeah, like a heavy to? metal rocker who loves the carousel in Prospect Park. Or something. Well, if we talk about heavy metal or rockers, you've got Andrew W.K., who yep. you mentioned at the top of this interview. And Andrew W.K. was used to be a regular at a Thai restaurant called Amarin Cafe in Greenpoint. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's surprising to, to bring him back to one of his old haunts and he could relive the days when he was sort of didn't even know who Andrew W.K. was going to be. And he would think about this over, uh, over a, a real spicy plate of some Thai food. So that's a surprise. There you go. There's a lot of things about this book that are perfect for a, a customer who just wants to buy a book because it gives you an insight into Brooklyn, great Brooklyn places, but also what makes them enjoyable to these people who really take the time to be a regular. Being a regular at a place, for me, and you and you summarize this in the essay, but it's important that you have a place. Why is that? Because a lot of Manhattanites, they just go from place to place. They don't care. Whatever's chic, whatever's the – you have a place. Great question. You know, the thing is about New York and about Brooklyn is that we all live in these very small apartments unless we've got – 
tons of money and we're part of the one percent and yeah, so yeah. what what people need to find here in brooklyn and new york is a second home or another living room or an oasis from all the chaos that this wonderful city brings you and so what these people do these regulars do is that they find a second home in a place that they go to where people know their name or just they they can rely on the place to go to and it, it builds a sense of comfort it's it builds a sense of community and it builds a sense of home um that's that's the takeaway about this book is you get to see the spaces that people find in this amazing city that they can actually call their own. That's what, all I've ever wanted was to be able to walk into a place. That's it. And like, hey, they're here, and then the, our table's ready, we, and we're going to sit down. You know, like like Frank Sinatra or something like that. No, but we've al- we've always had a little of that because I don't know, Josh. You know, we're regulars all over because of the Brooklyn paper. We put out the paper on Wednesday night. We come in. All we want is someone to go. Hey, it's those Brooklyn paper guys. Yeah, and it's happened once or twice. Once or twice. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to we meet go. up, the three of us. I'm going to do an interview with you guys. We'll take some photos and maybe some video. And what we'll do is we'll promote it on yep. all fronts yep. so yep. that everybody will know your name and everyone will know where you like to go. That's a good idea. In fact, Vince, could, when he writes up this interview we're doing right now. Which we do. We, and we'll sit down. We'll do it. And we'll, we'll you'll take us out for dinner, obviously, Josh, because you're <laughs> you're like a big time author. Not yet, but when people go to Amazon.com <laughs> and look up my book, once again called "Meet the Regulars" by Joshua D. Fisher, I'm going to make enough money to take you guys I out like and be able to make you as famous as you want to be. And I will remind the uh, listeners that it's Fisher, F I S C H E R, just so they can find that book. I can't thank you enough for noting how <laughs> my last name is spelled. Well, Thanks. we're regulars here, so. And we were the other place we used to go to Gersh was Lowlands. We were we were oh, regulars at Lowlands used to, late night. So we would go to Lowlands because it was the only place that was open till four. Yeah, and we'd walk in at like three o'clock, and Johnny at the bar would always go like, "Hey, it's that guy and that other guy <laughs> that we see every once in a while, every, almost every other week." And they serve you guys up some wine spritzers. No, like we used Eric to get Adams. shorties there. They had these seven ounce beers. The seven ounce beer, which was that way, I can I would have to drive home. So I've, I've heard them called pony beers. Yeah, in pony time. That's they used to have pony. they used to have a stack of guitars in the corner, and I would have a couple of ponies and just start playing. The pony is the small bottle. The shorty is the small glass. Well, I hope when you picked up that guitar, you did not play Stairway to Heaven or Smells Like Teen Spirit. No, I could automatic ejection. I can only play like two chords. What about what about uh, Hotel California? Is that is that where's that stand on the list? You'll get sued. It stands very low on the list because, as you know, Josh, I'm a huge detractor of the Eagles. (laughs) <laughs> yes, we, we've been through. So I'm going to ask you one other question about this before we, we move on. How did you, where did this come from? I know I think it started as a as a blog. Or was that on, uh, online? So and did, were re- you meeting people out there? Like all of a sudden you're in a bar and you're like, hey, there's so and so. Or then you went to another bar. Like, hey, there's so. Is that how that came about? Or like, what was the uh, genesis behind this? Something along those lines. The series originally appeared on the blog Bedford and Bowery, yeah. which is a New York magazine partner. And the series was my idea when Bedford and Bowery approached me to contribute to their their blog. And so after I did a couple dozen of these on that blog, I was able to pitch it to publishers for a book idea. And uh, then I was able to expand my coverage to neighborhoods all over Brooklyn and put this book out. But the reason why I wanted to do this, to get to your question is I'd been living in Brooklyn and Greenpoint in the same spot for 10 years or so, and a lot of things had changed over that time. A lot of rapid gentrification, a lot of friends moved on and got careers, and I started growing up myself and not going out as much. And so I wanted to go back to some of my old haunts and explore some new ones and see, are the people who I used to see still around, and who's there now, and what are these people up to? And what happened is I would sit down and have amazing conversations with a diverse group of people and learn a lot about a person, a lot about a place. And as I say, when you sit down with a person in a place that they call home, they reveal a lot of personal details, and you learn a lot about that person. I mean, you don't really have to take me to dinner to get personal details out of me. I mean, I, no. we'll do it right here on you the just radio. put a microphone Last in week, Josh, we talked about what a lousy father I am. I mean, like right here on the radio. Yes. No Terrible. booze, nothing. Terrible dad. <laughs> I'm sure that has nothing to do with the booze. <laughs> exactly. No, <laughs> thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, no, I'm always sober. Always sober, honey. Always sober. <laughs> anyway. Well, anyway, so, Josh, one of the other things we do, and, and it's great to have you in the, in the studio, one of the other things we do is, look, you're on our show. What else do you want to pitch? You, wanna, you, you got Meet the Regulars. It's a big hit. What else are you working on that you wanted the world to know? Just give it to us. Open mic night. Well, that's great. Thanks for that's <laughs> thanks for giving me the opportunity. You know, uh, this is a passion project, and I love this book very much. But I also understand that I won't necessarily sell ten thousand copies of the book. 
What I'd like to do, though, is I would love to use this as a stepping stone for a variety of other projects. I'd love to do a video uh, docu-series of Meet the Regulars. I would love to do a series of books, Meet the Regulars of Brooklyn, Meet the Regulars of L.A., of Chicago, of Austin, what have you. I've also uh, written and shot a web series and uh, that will hopefully one day see the light of day, but I've also written a full-length screenplay, and I'm developing a whole other sitcom with a local comic. I mentioned Broken Comedy before, which is what I see every Monday night at Matchless. And, uh, you know, that gives me the opportunity to meet a lot of new talent, a lot of big talent, and hopefully develop projects with them. And so I'm working on one of those right now. Well, you're like a mover and a shaker. You've got a lot going on. How do you have the time for all that stuff and still be able to go to bars? That's a great question. Um, well, I had a day job for three and a half years that's ending in July, so I definitely need to step it up and be able to uh, pay the bills. So I will be for hire very soon. Well, forget about for hire. You're going to move more than 10,000 copies with the Brooklyn Paper Bounce, we call it. Yes. Meet the regulars. People of Brooklyn and the Places They Love by Joshua Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Buy it now. It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. It's also at your local indie bookstore, so support the indie bookstores, please. It's like comedians in cars drinking coffee, only without the cars and with the coffee. Yeah, but that's just for now. Josh Fisher sounds like he's a mover and a shaker. No, he's, he's going to have... A, he's developing a comedy series. There you go. With your help, I will become the household name that you guys are about to be. Well, you're going to hire us. We'll just work for you, Josh. We yeah. don't, we're not fancy. All right, the book is called Meet the Regulars. The author is Josh Fisher. He's in the studio, but we got to get out, Josh. Thanks for joining us. Vince, i got to say, great doing the show with you. It it's always a, is. It's always a good time, Gersh. What are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm... I'm going to write this up. I got to put together He's an Adam, an Adam Derwitz story for uh, for for next week's well, edition. Well, I'm going out with my girlfriend if she's still listening. I love you baby. We'll see you in a couple hours. Got to get out, Johnny. Play us out. Josh Fisher, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's Brooklyn Paper Radio. Thanks to Adam Derwitz.